If you have a Bible, we're going to be this morning in 1 John. It's going to be our, our final message. Uh, for those of you that have uh, been coming regularly, you know that for probably most of the month of November and December, we've been in, in the book of 1 John and just continue to repeat over and over uh, the purpose for which this book was written. The Apostle John wanted to bring assurance uh, to, to believers that they truly were children of God, that they truly were possessors of eternal life, because he knew that if you could have that confidence, you could live that victorious Christian life uh, that we're all called to, to live. But we're going to struggle if we don't know that we're truly children of God and struggle if we don't really understand that we have eternal life. And so John did this by explaining over and over the, the three different characteristics that we've hopefully uh, by now know of who God is. He said, first of all, you can know that you're a child of God. You can know that you have assurance because God is light. Jesus Christ himself said that he was the light of the world. And so if Christ is in me, that means I have the light of God in me. So if I could see my sin and not just see my sin, but see myself as a sinner and be willing to confess my sin to God, that's, that's an evidence that I am truly a child of God. He also said that God is love. So as we see ourselves as sinners, we're reminded that God is love and that expression of God's love is Jesus. And so he says, you can know that you are a child of God. You can know you have eternal life because God is love and because Jesus is God's expression of love. So as you see your sin, you're quick to confess it. And then he said, God is life because without God, you can't have eternal life because eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus his son and Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life so I, then the question is do we seek for life in God or do we seek for life in things apart from God because the more we know God the more he'll become that treasure to our heart the more we will experience the eternal life uh, that is ours so, so John uses over and over God and Jesus, light, life, love. And today, though, I want to, this final message, I want to bring a different aspect that we have not gone through at all yet in 1 John, and that is that Jesus is not just light, not just love, not just life, but Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. But before we get there, I'm gonna, I feel like I've got to lay a, a little bit of a foundation. And here's the thing. It's going to take me a while to lay the foundation, but the message is going to be probably shorter than the foundation. Uh, just, but I, we've got to understand what that word Christ really means. My guess is that most of us are so familiar with the word Jesus Christ, we think that Christ is just a part of his name. But it's not. It's not like my name is Brian Hassey and he is Jesus Christ. Christ is not a name. Christ is a, a title. Jesus, the Christ. One um, in particular author, as he was writing about this, he encouraged people, whenever you see the name Christ or the word Christ in the Bible, put the word the mentally, put the word the before it. So you see Jesus Christ, say Jesus the Christ. When you see Christ did, but the Christ did. Because of that, the word Christ, the, because the word Christ is actually a title, it came from a Greek word named Christos, which is actually from a Hebrew word translated Messiah, and it, and it means anointed one. So if you see Christ, you see Messiah, they mean the same thing. 
So we see Jesus Christ, it's the same thing as saying, saying Jesus the Messiah. That's why we could say Jesus the Christ, and it means the anointed one. And, and an anointed one was someone who was chosen by God to lead his people to victory over their enemies. So, so think through that. An anointed one, a Christ, a Messiah, was chosen by God to lead God's people in victory over their enemies, which means this. There were many Christs. There were many messiahs. Every priest who served in the Old Testament was a type of messiah. He was anointed before he would begin his service as a priest. The kings, we know of David who was anointed with oil and Saul who was anointed with oil. It's because they were being anointed ones to lead God's people over victory of their enemies. So there's many anointed ones, but there was one. There was a Christ. There was the Christ that people were looking for. And that goes back to one anointing of a king named David. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. David loved the Lord in such a way that at the end of David's life, God is going to make a covenant with this man named David. And, and, and I'm just going to skip a lot, but it's in 2 Samuel. And here's the end of that covenant. God says this, in your house, and your kingdom, talking to David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David, your throne will be established forever. Now, now when we first read that, not really that big of a deal, but, but think with me for just a moment. What world empire lasts forever? None. In the Bible, we read about like the Assyrians and the Babylonians. You'll read about the Romans. And then we know that Alexander the Great would become a world. No world empire lasts forever. And so when God says to David, your throne will be established forever, what he's saying is there will be a kingdom that will last forever. And that may not have made a lot of sense or even meant a lot to Israel at the moment this, this statement was made or this covenant was made. But think, if you know your Bible, at the end of the Old Testament, what began to happen? The prophets began to preach and say, look to that promised one. Look to that Messiah. Look to that Christ. Look to that coming one. Why were they saying that? Because Israel was about to be defeated and they were about to lose the throne. Assyria would come in and would conquer. Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar would come in and conquer. There would be no throne except there was this covenant made by God to David that someone from your throne, your home will be, someone from your home will sit on a throne forever. And so the prophets were saying, we don't even have a throne. We, don't, we won't even have a kingdom very soon. Look, look, look to the one that God has promised David that from his house, will come one to reign forever. Which is why we often use these words from Isaiah at Christmas time as we announce the coming of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, Isaiah prophesies. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and 
forevermore. That's why we read Isaiah chapter 9 about Jesus. And yet when Jesus was born, what we just celebrated yesterday, other than Mary and Joseph and a few lowly shepherds, no one had a clue that in that manger was the Christ, the anointed one, the one who would come to reign and sit on the throne of David forever. Even in our Bibles, other than a short birth narrative and other than a visit from the wise men and one event when Jesus is 12, we have nothing about this anointed one until his earthly ministry begins about the age of 30. But at that ministry, a revelation, God, it's like God's pulling back the curtain. He's gonna pull some coverings off so that we can start to get a glimpse that this is the Christ that we've been waiting for. He meets John the Baptist. When he meets John the Baptist, John the Baptist points at him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, we may say that was nice that John pointed him out, but no, this was a prophetic, this, this was a prophetic fulfillment of the prophet Malachi who said, yes, the Messiah, the Christ will have a forerunner, someone to point him to the people. And John says he'll take away the sins of the world, but who could take away sin other than God? And the revelation began to be revealed. John the Baptist would, would baptize Jesus. And in his baptism, notice what happens. It says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the, notice these words, spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and two things happen when God speaks. One, he declares who Jesus is. You are my beloved son. I am your father. And you please me well. Which points back to another prophecy of Isaiah. Behold my servant, God says, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him this is revelation that 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 we see he's got the forerunner and, and he's pointed as the one who could take away the sins of the world and a voice from heaven says this is my son and and i'm well pleased with him and the spirit descends all of this is trying to show us that jesus is that christ he performs miracles over death disease nature to show his deity he calls himself the lord of the sabbath you understand what those words mean i'm the lord of the sabbath i declared the sabbath i made the law who made the law but god himself a blind man in, in mark 10 addresses jesus as the son of david there's a tie back to second samuel the demons recognize jesus as the son of god and they obey him and yet, despite the miracles and the prophecies and the responses and all the revelation that is trying to show the Jews this is the promised one, they miss it. They don't recognize him as the Messiah or as the Christ. Even those closest to Jesus struggle with this truth. That's why Jesus in Mark chapter 9, he's gonna, he's gonna say, now who, in Mark chapter 8, who do you say, or who do people think that I am? He's gonna turn to his disciples and say, who do people say that I am? And, and Jesus has done so many amazing things at this point. They cannot say he's just another person. 
So in Mark 8, they say, well, some think you're John the Baptist who had already been killed. And some say you're Elijah who, if that's true, Jesus would have been risen from the dead. Or you're one of the other prophets, which means Jesus had come back from the dead. They know something special about him, but they won't say, oh, we know who he is. He's the Messiah. Got every other excuse other than who he is. And so Jesus turns to Peter and says, okay, that's who other people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in a declarative way in Mark chapter eight, you are the Christ. You are the one that has been promised. You are the son of God come. You are the one that has been anointed to lead our people over in victory over our enemies. And as soon as Peter makes this declaration that Jesus is the Christ, I want you to see what Jesus says to him. And he strictly charged them, meaning Jesus strictly charged his disciples to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. We won't read it, but when Peter hears Jesus say these words, he rises up and he rebukes him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus finally was declared who he was. I am the Christ. And let me tell you what the Christ must do. He must be defeated. And Peter said, no, the Christ leads us to defeat our enemies. I'll skip a lot of a lot of ground but as mark chapter 14 opens in mark 14 jesus is preparing for the passion it's it's his it's his calling and two days before the passover two days before what we know as the last supper here's what we read in mark chapter number 14 verse number three it says and while he jesus was at bethany in the house of simon the leper as he was reclining at table a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Verse four, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. The anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ is anointed. Now, I fully believe that Jesus, when he was baptized, I believe that was an anointing of God as well for Jesus to live a life of, of perfect obedience and love to God. But I find it so interesting that in the Old Testament, the kings were anointed before they took the throne and priests were anointed before they began their office and prophets were anointed before they began their public ministry. And here is our Christ anointed before 
Like the whole purpose of the anointed one coming was to die. Because it's in his death that Jesus leads his people. And we're not just talking about the Jews. We're talking about you and me. But in his death, Jesus leads his people to their greatest victory over all the enemy of sin, of death, and of hell. But he does it by dying. And so it's in his sacrificial death, followed by his victorious resurrection, and then his ascension back to the throne of heaven that Jesus proved himself to be the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ that they had all been waiting for. That's all foundation. Now let's run to 1 John and trust me, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of here on time. <laughs> In 1 John chapter 2, we don't see the word Christ very often though. What we see is a very different word. We see a word that we often associate with end times called antichrist. Bless you. Most of us, most of us think, well, the antichrist is someone who's going to come at the end of the world when we read Revelation and other prophecies throughout the New Testament that talk of the antichrist, but John, in trying to bring assurance to believers that they're children of God and that they have eternal life, he has to, he addresses antichrist. And John doesn't say the antichrist will come one day. John says, hey, the antichrists, plural, are here. Let's read. 1 John 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Well, first of all, we got to ask, well, what's an Antichrist? We know what anti means, right? It means opposed to. It could also mean instead of. But it's basically saying, I will Stand in opposition to. So an antichrist is going to stand in opposition to Christ, which means an antichrist is going to do everything he can to prove that Jesus, or to say, or to declare that Jesus is not the Christ. Antichrist is going to try to prove Jesus is not the Christ. And John, in this letter, 1 John, has gone out of his way to say, no, the one who has come from the beginning, that was with God in the beginning, we have touched him, we have heard him, we have listened to him. He is life. He is light. He is love. He is the Christ. But many will tell you he's not. Interestingly enough, John says this is the last hour 2,000 years ago church family I really 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 want you to listen to this 2,000 years ago people were saying well ends coming soon 
Do you know how many people have told me in the last two years as this coronavirus has, has moved across our country and moved across our world, well, we're living in the end times. That's what John said nearly 2,000 years ago. Here's my encouragement. Maybe we stop living like we're living in the last times and we start living like this is exactly where God wants us to be so that we can live a life so different with such light and such love that people say, we want the life you have. And we say, oh, that life, that only comes in the Christ. So many Christians, though, are walking around saying, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Well, obviously, if Jesus wanted to come back, he'd come back. How about we start getting on our, we start taking it upon ourselves to say, we want to live in this dark world with such a light that people say, how do you do that? And we point them to Jesus. We live with such a love when people are so self-centered and it's all about me. You live with such a giving, generous heart that people want to know, why are you different? Why am I different? Because of Jesus. I would just encourage us, don't waste today by complaining about how dark it is getting. Don't waste it. Shine shine the light of God that's within you because God is light and if you are a child of God God is in you shine to this dark world because chances are you're gonna live a full life because they thought it was the last hour 2,000 years ago so let's live a life like God intended us to do verse 19 says this John says they went out from us but they did not really belong to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us but their going showed that none of them belonged to us here's the here's what John is saying just because someone was a part of a church at a time does not mean that they are a true believer And I don't mean like a local church. I mean, when, when someone departs from saying, I don't care about Jesus being the Christ, we need to be praying for them. Because John was saying this because you had believers, or you had, you had the believers who were watching people leave their church gathering and begin teaching other things about Jesus. And he was warning them. But then this is where it gets really good to me. Verse 20. But you... Have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I have, I have a ton left, but I'm just, I'm going to stop here and park here and just take a, take a few minutes. No, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not about time. It's not, it's not because I, I want to I emphasize this. I would really encourage you, go home and read the rest of chapter 2. Because it's about the Antichrist. And then chapter four begins more, a little bit more about the Antichrist. But I want to stop because I just want to park right here and I want to make us understand, or I want to help us try to understand this so much. The anointed one, the Christ, has anointed believers. Do you know what then that makes a believer? 
we are little Christs. We have the anointing, not of a, not of a prophet like King David, not like King Saul. We have been anointed as believers by the anointed one. And it's an eternal anointing. And you'll find that if you were to keep reading. It's an eternal anointing. But it's not just an eternal anointing. It's a transforming anointing. Meaning not only does it last forever because it is an eternal anointer, but also it's not like oil that runs down the beards of kings and falls to the ground and still allows them to live contrary to what God desires for them. This anointing of believers is the Holy Spirit coming inside to dwell within us, anointing us as little Christs, as little messiahs, why we're called Christians. And that anointing, it doesn't roll off of us. It transforms this heart to become little Christs as we look at the Christ and we say we want the Christ to live within us as anointed ones. We're anointed ones. We are anointed ones just like Christ. Now, that, that, that's terrible. I shouldn't say that just like Christ. That's not, that's not true. He is the Christ. But the anointed one has anointed us so that we could transform and become day by day more and more to be like the Christ. Ah, oh, just, that's, that's so, it's so exciting to me. And I'm, I'm just, just, so, so what's our what's our ministry so jesus i think i would believe he got anointed twice once by the father to live so so we have been anointed once by the father to live out the law and once by this lady in preparation for his death we now are anointed. Do you know that our anointing, though, only comes when we are willing to die to ourselves? We're anointed to die. And once we die, spiritually, once, we self, once our self dies, to living for self, to living to try to please self, for living for trying to live in such a life that self earns its way to heaven, we die to self and when we die to self, the anointed one comes to live within us, anointing us to now live out the law, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not just to love your neighbor as yourself, but to love your neighbor as Christ loved you. I just think that is the, I just think that is the coolest thing. And that's, I guess that's the, that's, the, that's the thought that I would love to, to leave in your mind. The anointed one has anointed us as believers to live out the same ministry that he has lived. Can I pull one, one verse out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4? You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them meaning the world, because the one who is in you 
is greater than the one who is in the world. There's two, two crazy things about this verse. It says that we're from God. Like, it makes sense that Jesus was from God. Jesus literally was at God's side and was sent from God. It says, you dear children, you believers are from God. Because the one who is from God is inside of us. He's anointed us. And greater is the one who is inside of us than anything in this world around us. Man, I just, I, I just love that. So let me finish. So th- this, is, this is the close of 1 John. And again, I'd encourage you if you can read chapter two and chapter four a little bit later. Uh, but like, God's given you life, his life. Live it. Let's live the life God has given to us. He's given us Jesus who is the life. And let's take that life and let's shine. How different could Page County be if there were lights in this darkness? If we had smiles when everyone else had frowns? If we had words of joy and encouragement when everyone else was telling us how bad things were? Shine the light. It's not your light, it says. Show the love. Not the love that we have for one another, but the love that Christ has given to us where he overlooks. Now, that's not true. He doesn't overlook it. He accepts who we are because he was willing to die for our sin, to make us perfect. That kind of love is is what we can give to the people around us. And as we do, we worship the Christ, the Messiah, the one And we have to reach that point as Peter did when he looked at Jesus and said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. Our world just celebrated the coming of Jesus. I don't know how many celebrated the coming of the anointed one. How many celebrated the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, well, we don't need Christmas for that. We, get to, we can rejoice in that and celebrate that every single day by living out what he was anointed to do and how he has anointed us to do the same. So I want to close 2021 by just singing Jesus Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one. And I would love for our church to just simply rejoice and celebrate in singing who our Jesus is. He's the anointed one and who Jesus is to us. He has come to make us the anointed ones as well.